Thank you for tuning in to Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Here's your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. Welcome to this Saturday night edition of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, or T-L-O-P-N, or Tloppin. Please remember to download, rate, and subscribe to this program on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or whichever podcasting app that you personally care to use. Ask your smart device to play Locked On Mariners Podcast or any program here on the Locked On Podcast Network. All you have to do is say, hey, smart device, play Locked On Team Name Here Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at LO underscore Mariners and follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg. L-U-N-D-B-E-R-G if you are indeed scoring at home. Last time on this program, we talked about uh, the World Series games in which one player hit three home runs. Today, we are going to talk about the two World Series games which were ended by home runs. 1960 and 1993. We'll begin in 1960. This took place on October 13th, 1960. October 13th being our announcer's birthday, although he wasn't born until the mid-80s. This was before his time. This took place at uh, Forbes Field in Pittsburgh. This was, in fact, Game 7 of this 1960 World Series. This was between the Pittsburgh Pirates and New York Yankees. Pittsburgh took Game 1, 6-4. New York took Game 2, 16-3, and they would shut out Pittsburgh the next day, 10-0. Pittsburgh would tie up the series at two games apiece in Game 4 with a 3-2 victory, and they would take Game 5 as well with a 5-2 victory. In Game 6, the New York Yankees would blow out the Pirates once again, 12-zilch setting up this decisive Game 7. I think it's pretty interesting that the three Pirate victories thus far were all pretty close ball games, and all three Yankee victories were by 10 runs or more. I That's something that I just learned in, while doing research for this program. In any case, in this Game 7, Pittsburgh would take a quick 4 to nothing lead. They would score 2 in the first, 2 in the second. New York would get one run back in the fifth inning and score four in the sixth to take a 5-4 to lead. Nobody would score in the seventh inning, and then in the eighth inning, the Yankees would score two to go up 7-4. to However, in the bottom of the eighth inning, Pittsburgh got busy. Gino Simoli would hit pinch hit for the pitcher leading off the inning, and he would hit a single. Bill Verdon then hit a ground ball to the shortstop, Tony Kubek, but the ball took a really bad hop, came up and hit Kubek in the face, and Bill Verdon was credited with a single. Kubek would have to leave the game, and then Joe DeMastri would, would replace him at shortstop. Next batter was Dick Grote, who drove in Verdon with a single. Yankee pitcher Bobby Shantz was pulled at this time in favor of Jim Coates. Bob Skinner would hit a sacrifice bunt to third base, sending Verdon to third and Grote to second. Rocky Nelson would fly out to right field. So with one run in, runners at third and second, or second and third if you want to speak properly, with two out, and that brought up the legendary Roberto Clemente, one of my all-time favorite players. He hits a ground ball to score Verdon, sending Dick Grote to third base. Runners at the corners now with two in and two out. 
The batter is Pittsburgh catcher Hal Smith, and he launches a three-run home run to put the Pirates up 9-7. to seven. Keep in mind, Hal Smith was a backup most of his career, and he was a backup for these Pittsburgh Pirates as well. He didn't even start this ball game, and he winds up being one of the game's heroes. Jim Coates' uh, unimpressive day was finished. He would be replaced by Ralph Terry, who would induce a flyout from Don Hoke. So, 9-7 this is the score now, with the Yankees coming up in the ninth inning. They've got to score two to tie to force a bottom of the ninth inning. Bobby Richardson leads off with a single. Dale Long pinch hits for Joe DeMaestri, who had replaced Tony Kubek at shortstop, and Long hits a single of his own. With those two Pittsburgh singles, Bob Friend was relieved on the mound, and he was replaced with Harvey Haddock's. And there's an interesting story regarding regarding Harvey Haddix that I'll touch upon in a little bit. In any case, the next batter was Roger Maris, who would uh, pop out to the catcher in foul territory. Next batter would be Hall of Famer Mickey Mantle, and he had a, and he would hit a single to score Richardson and send Long to third base. Gil McDougald would pinch run for Long, and that brings up another Hall of Famer, Yogi Berra. He would ground out to the first baseman, scored three unassisted. That would score McDougald, and Mantle stays at first base. Next player, Bill Moose Scourin, grounds into a force out at second base, and that would end the inning with the game tied at nine. Gil McDougald uh, stays in the game. He'll play third base. Cleet Boyer moves from third base to shortstop. That would be academic because the first batter of the inning is Bill Mazeroski. And with Bill Terry on the mound with a 1-0 count, Mazeroski, the eighth place hitter in the lineup, would hit a home run over the left field wall to give the Pittsburgh Pirates a walk-off 10-9 victory in Game 7 of the 1960 World Series. The first World Series ever ended with a home run. Mazeroski was a career 260 hitter who had a 299 on base and 367 slugging average. He was also an eight time Gold Glove Award winner and a 10 time All Star. In 1960, he slashed 273, 320, 392. He had 21 doubles, 5 triples, and 11 home runs to go along with 64 runs batted in. These days, he's kind of gained a reputation as a defensive specialist, light-hitting second baseman. However, back in the 50s and 60s, he played through 1972, his age 35 season. These are very good numbers for a middle infielder. It was rare to have a middle infielder who could hit with any power, and Bill Mazeroski has multiple seasons in which he hit double-digit home runs with a high of 19 in 1958, his first All-Star season. Mazeroski was 5'11", about 183 pounds. He played in two World Series, the 1960 Series. He also played in the 1971 Series against the Baltimore Orioles, in which the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates also were champions. Mazeroski was born September 5th, 1936 in Wheeling, West Virginia. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, he is still alive at 84 years old. A bizarre footnote to this 1960 World Series, the MVP of the series was Bobby Richardson, who played for the Yankees. Yes, the MVP of the series played for the losing team. How about that? 
To close out the first half of the show, we're going to talk a little bit about Harvey Haddix, who got the win in this game. He was involved in a very famous and bizarre game that took place on May 26, 1959 in County Stadium in Milwaukee, playing the Milwaukee Braves. He was perfect through nine innings. However, the Braves were pitching Lou Burdett that day, a very, very good pitcher in his own right, and he also shut the Pirates down. He wasn't perfect but he was pitching a shutout through the regulation nine innings. So it goes scoreless into the 10th. Pittsburgh does not score in the top of the inning. Haddix is perfect in the bottom of the inning. Pittsburgh does not score in the 11th, and Haddix is perfect in the bottom of the 11th. Pittsburgh does not score in the 12th, and Haddix is perfect through 12 innings at this point. Pirates do not score in the 13th either. However, Haddix would lose his perfect game when the, when the batter leading off the bottom of the 13th would reach base on a throwing error, E5. The next batter would sacrifice the runner to second base, and then Haddix would intentionally walk Hank Aaron. So there are now runners on first and second with one out, and that brings up Joe Adcock. He hit a home run to end the ball game, sort of. Follow along with me here. He did hit the ball over the fence. However, he passed Hank Aaron on the base paths between second and third base. So he's ruled out, and he gets credited for a double. Hank Aaron had stopped because he thought that the ball had landed inside the fence, and the lead runner had already scored. So Adcock's run does not count, and the umpire originally ruled a 2 to nothing victory. However, Hank Aaron never touched home plate, so the National League president, Warren Giles, uh, gave the Braves a one to nothing victory. Ha, huh, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Incidentally, Lou Burdett also pitched a complete game. Both starting pitchers pitched complete games in this 13-inning marathon, which was completed in under three hours. Yes, this was a two-hour and 54-minute ball game a 13-inning game. That is amazing. We will continue in a few short moments, but first, this from Built Bar. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, Built Bar, the greatest protein bars in the history of great protein bars. High in protein, obviously. They're also low in sugar, low in calories, low in carbohydrates. They're gluten-free. And the nut-free flavors are all made in a nut-free facility. What more could you ask for? Well, how about great taste? They've got that too. They taste as close to a candy bar as a protein bar can get. I eat these things. I've been eating one for breakfast, and I've been eating one after I've done lifting weights at the gym, which I haven't done for a couple of weeks because of my cold. I've still got a little bit of a cough, and the gym is kind of sensitive with people coming in with any kind of symptoms, just with this whole virus going. In any case, they're great. I eat them, and I don't eat what doesn't taste good. That should tell you everything you need to know about these protein bars. You can find them at BuiltBar.com. You can put together a box of the flavors at which you would most like to try, or, or your already established favorites. The peanut butter brownie is great. The German chocolate cake 
cake is great. The, the mint brownie is great, too. The chocolate raspberry, chocolate orange. The flavors are all great, ladies and gentlemen. I even like the almond carrot cake, which I did not think I was going to like. And don't forget about Built Boost drink powder, which, if you mix with hot water, is a great way to relieve a sore throat. And also, Built Go Energy Shots. All this can be found at BuiltBar.com. And if you use promo code BLEEFBLORFBLOFFBLOFF, nothing happens. So use promo code Locked On instead. That's all one word, Locked On, to get $10 off of your order at BuiltBar.com. If you have a question or comment, send it on over to LockedOnMariners at gmail.com for consideration for a future mailbag episode. I'm not generating hardly any email, so I think the next one will be the last email segment, at least until spring training. Of course, now that I say that, watch me get a ton of emails. Send questions or comments about anything. The offseason is coming up. Ask me about bowling. That's going to be going on through... uh, early November. Curling season's going to be starting up again pretty soon. Hopefully. Ask me about that. Ask me about music. Send me jokes. I'll read those on the air too. I'll read the clean ones because this is a family show. Locked on Mariners will continue talking about the 1993 World Series or the end of the 1993 World Series after this vital word of importance. Welcome back to Locked On Mariners. Once again, your host, D.C. Lundberg. Thank you very much, Joey Martin. D.C. back here with you from the greater Spokane area, where it did, in fact, snow yesterday. We got six inches of snow at our house, and it's not even Halloween yet. In any case, it's supposed to start warming up over the next over the next week or so. And by late next week, it's supposed to get into the 50s. So it's all going to melt off pretty quickly. We talked about the 1960 World Series in the first part of the show, the first World Series that was ended with a home run. Now we're going to talk about the only other World Series which was ended with a home run, the 93 Series between the Philadelphia Phillies and Toronto Blue Jays, only the second time in history that the series involved a Canadian team. And that Canadian team did take Game 1 at Sky Dome 8-5 to over the Phillies. Phillies would tie it up the next day, 6-4, to and then they would go on to Veterans Stadium for Game 3, a 10-3 to victory by the Blue Jays. The Blue Jays would also win the next night, 15-14 to in a wild back-and-forth ball game, which is, I believe, still the highest-scoring game in World Series history. I could be wrong about that, but I do believe that is still the highest-scoring World Series game. Uh, game 5, then, was a Phillies victory, a 2 to nothing shutout pitched by Kurt Schilling against Juan Guzman. They'd go back to Skydome for Game 6. So now it's decided. There's no way that the series was going to be decided in Philadelphia. So this is going to be the first time a decisive World Series game was to be played in Canada. And what a game it was. Blue Jays got busy right away in the bottom of the first inning, scoring three runs against Phillies starter Terry Mulholland, who would later pitch for the Mariners. Uh, Philly would get one back in the fourth inning, which was immediately answered in the bottom of the fourth by Toronto, who would score an additional run in the fifth inning to go ahead 5-1. to one. 
Top of the seventh, however, was a completely different story. The Phillies would score five, thanks in part to a three-run home run from Lenny Dykstra. Later on in the inning, Dave Hollins, yes, future Mariner Dave Hollins, would hit an RBI single to score Mariano Duncan, and Hollins would later score on a sacrifice fly from Pete Incavilla. So Philly takes a 6-5 to five lead, and that score would hold through the top of the ninth inning, setting up the bottom of the ninth. Mitch Williams would come in from the bullpen to relieve Larry Anderson, and the first batter he has to face is future Hall of Famer and perhaps the best leadoff hitter in the history of baseball, Ricky Henderson, and he would draw a walk. And Williams was obviously bothered by Henderson at first base. The coaching staff had tried to get him to pitch out of a slide step with Henderson aboard, and Williams had never pitched out of a slide step in his life. He would get the next batter, Devon White, to fly out to left center field. However, Paul Molitor would hit a line drive single to center field, which would send Henderson to second base. So there are now runners on first and second, one out, and up to the plate steps one of the best RBI men of his era, Joe Carter. He works the count to two and two, and then Williams throws him a low inside slider, which Carter hits sharply down the left field line. It kept going and going, and yes, it would be gone. To give the Blue Jays an 8-6 to six victory in Game 6 of the 1993 World Series, and a series victory four games to two. And if you have never seen the footage of Joe Carter rounding the bases after this home run, look it up on YouTube. It is one of my all-time favorite moments from one of my favorite players, and this is one reason why. He had fun playing baseball. He had an ever-present beaming smile. And he reminds me, um, his personality reminds me at least, of a Mariner, of Ken Griffey Jr. Because they both had that youthful exuberance while playing the game, which was refreshing back then because it was rare. And they didn't do it to show up their opponents like so many players do these days. They were genuinely having fun. And that's it, it was wonderful to watch. Also, Blue Jays broadcaster Tom Cheek, the late Tom Cheek, who was an excellent broadcaster, by the way, had his, one of his best calls on this home run. Whenever he would call a home run, he would say, touch them all, player name. You know, touch them all, Roberto Alomar or, or whoever. On this one, he said, touch them all, Joe Carter. You'll never hit a bigger home run in your life. And boy, was he right. You cannot beat ending the World Series on a home run. You cannot top that in baseball and perhaps even in professional sports. That's going to do it for today's show, ladies and gentlemen. I do hope you enjoyed it, talking about the two home runs that have ended the World Series. Those Blue Jays teams, by the way, those those early 90s, late 80s Blue Jays teams, some of the best teams that nobody talks about these days. In any case, I'm, I'm, I ended the show already, and now I'm going back. Tomorrow on the show, not tomorrow, tomorrow's Sunday. Monday on the show, more World Series history. I'll see if I can't come up with some pitching because I've talked about offense now two days in a row. I'm not exactly sure what the subject is going to be, but I am sure that we will have Venus Flytrap, Fluffy McNutter, and a shoe tree on the panel, and that will be fun. So download, rate, and subscribe to this program so you never miss an episode. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, or any podcasting app that might happen to spring into your brain head, look for us on any podcasting app you can think of. 
Follow us on Twitter as well at LO underscore Mariners. And follow me on Twitter at DC underscore Lundberg. Thank you again for listening to today's program, ladies and gentlemen. We'll be back next week talking more World Series. Join us then. This is Joey Martin saying join us back here next time for another edition of Locked On Mariners, part of the Locked On Podcast Network.